the title of my sermon today is uh, Normal Christianity, and, and that's not a very catchy title uh, for today's day and age, but uh, this is uh, kind of similar to Watchman Nee, and he wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. Uh, again, not a very catchy title for today, uh, but he had a certain understanding of the word that's normal. And, and I point this out um, you know, because I, I think there's a very cultural aspect to this. Okay? Um, there's, right under there is the, is the word normal, <laughs> okay? and it, it means standard or norms or average in, in some way. But when we see here, there's actually a different way to use this word. I mean, there's whole universities <laughs> that have this thing. I remember the first time I saw this university, it said Beijing Normal University. I was like, what? What is that? You know, uh, in, in the Chinese, it's Beijing Shifan Dashue. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a teaching university. Actually, there's actually many countries still today that still use this word in this way. And what, what do they mean by that? It means that there is a standard, uh, there is a norm. And, and, you know, and it's very different, you know, because uh, this is an educational college. And so what they're trying to do in education in this university and in many schools is basically raise children to uh, kind of understand certain norms. And that's very countercultural today, I, I, I would think. A lot of people, even in education, will be like, you do you. You know, a lot of individualism, right? It's about you being the best you possible. And that's kind of the understanding of, of this word, or of, of education these days. But, you know, I think that's, um, oh, we are losing something there. You know, even in the Christian culture, the ideas of norms is very prevalent. The Ten Commandments, there's norms, commandments, decrees. There's truth that Jesus wants us uh, to be aware of. And he wants us to live by these truths. To do what? To bless us. Amen? Can you tell the person next to you, God wants to bless you? You trust that person? <laughs> you have to trust God because he really does uh, want to bless you. And he wants to bless you in every single way. Uh, myself, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's supposed to be some pictures under there that I'm going through, but it's okay. I'll just explain it. Uh, so in 2006, uh, myself, my wife, and our first daughter, Kylie, uh, we went to China, and we learned uh, Chinese, you know, and we learned, you know, and, and even the word Chinese, you know, in, in the word, in, in Chinese, do you know what they say if they, if they think that your Chinese is good? They say this, they say, 你的普通话太标准. Do you know what 标准 means? It means standard, right? How many of you guys speak Chinese in here? How many? Oh. Okay, so there's a lot of Chinese speakers. What biaojun means, it's standard. It's basically conforming to a norm. And that's 
how you tell someone, wow, your Chinese is amazing. Why? Because you sound like everybody else. <laughs> and that's when you know, wow, you have good Chinese. That's an interesting angle, isn't it? It's an interesting look and an angle and a perspective of what it means to be good at something. There's a norm, there's a standard. And so when we went to China, and I bring this up because some people, when I tell people that I'm a missionary or I, I, I've been a missionary for 16 years, they're like, what do you do? They don't kind of understand, right? Um, and I, I want to tell everybody, you know, it's not as strange as you think. There's so many missionaries that I've met in China. They're doctors. I mean, you know, they have regular jobs. They're doctors, lawyers, engineers. They work, some of them are, are programmers. Uh, they work from home, some of them. Um, they're in education. They're teachers. You know, I would say pastor missionary is actually kind of uh, the minority. <laughs> Most missionaries are not pastors. And so they go out and they do jobs, but they go with a certain directive, a certain purpose. And that's what a missionary is. Um, God wants to bless us. Uh, And you know, someone, uh, a good pastor uh, told me once, he said, the goal of a pastor, okay, what makes a good pastor? A good pastor is not someone who just speaks well, has a presence, leadership. A good pastor at the end of the day is marked by what? His flock are people who are rich. That's a good pastor. Now, what does that mean? Not, not just money, not how much in your bank. Actually, like think about that. Okay. How many people... Okay, think about that for a second. How much money do you have in your bank account? You have a number? I'm sure most of you guys kind of have a a feeling about what that number is. Now, let me ask you another question. How much money do you have in your heavenly bank account? Probably not as clear, (laughs) correct? But what, what he meant by that statement was this, that our job is to make sure that our people are rich in the Lord, that we have eternal rewards, that we have heavenly rewards. And this is what our job is. And so my job is that, is that you would be rich. Amen? Amen. And that you would have incredible riches in the Lord. And that there's a certain type of riches that God wants us to have. But at the same time, there are certain uh, pitfalls that we may run into. And this is what Watchman Nee said in the normal Christian life. He said, it is so easy to become more attached to the gifts of God than to the giver. And even I should add to the work of God than to God himself. And so this is the danger that we face, the gifts that we have, the provisions that we have, um, and and even to the point of the work, of the labor uh, that we do, we can get easily distracted 
by these important things and not really focus on the most important thing or the main thing. In this passage, um, I'm going to talk about a passage that is very famous, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what else? And all these things shall be added unto you. Amen? That's a very famous passage. But what Jesus is doing okay, is he wants us to be rich. He's giving us investment advice. And we, we could all need that. We all need that in this room. He's giving us investment advice and telling us how we can be more rich in the Lord. And so even the whole of chapter 6, it actually is giving us this advice. And if we look here in, yeah, the next slide. Okay, chapter 6, verse 19, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a very simple truth. Okay? He wants us to have the most secure investment. Okay? And I'm sure many of, us, we all have, many of us have retirement savings accounts, 401ks, and many of us may be risk-averse. Maybe some of us are very risky, and we love taking risk. You know, it, we have different philosophies here, but what Jesus is saying in this passage is that there, I'm giving you the safest investment that you can have. This is, this is good investment advice, because why? Jesus knows what's going to happen. He knows the future. He knows what stocks are going to come up. Imagine if 10 years ago, somebody told you, hey, there's this new company. I know you haven't heard about it. It's called Tesla. <laughs> you should invest in it. Imagine if you were one of those per- people in around 2010 and you invested a certain amount of money in that company. You, it, would be so, it would be worth so much today. And this is the kind of understanding that Jesus is giving to, to his people. This is, I have investment advice for you. But you have to invest in a certain way. And he goes on, and he talks about the obstacles. What is going to, what might hinder us um, from investing uh, in the way that we ought? What hinders people from making the most out of their investments? And he goes on in verse 22. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, how does this fit? Right? And the top, the, right, right on top, it was, it's talking about what? Treasures, treasure, heavenly treasures, investing. And then he just 
comes here in verse 22, and it goes on. It talks about bad eyes. If your eye is bad. Now, I, I remember when I was younger reading this passage, I was like, what does this have to do with anything? It's actually um, a colloquial language. And so what does it mean to have a bad eye? Anyone know what it means to have, in Western culture, you know, there's, there's a certain symbolism. Um, they're saying green eyes, green eyes of rage. Anyone know what it means to have green eyes? Anybody know? It's not used very often these days. Who's brave here? Anybody know? What does green eyes mean? Yes. Greedy. Uh, very similar. Very similar to that. Envious. Jealousy. Yeah. I guess we don't use that much anymore. Or we are just not native English speakers in this room. <laughs> but <laughs> green eyes, <laughs> it's, it denotes jealousy. And that's, you know, that, that's a colloquial saying. In this passage, bad eyes, eyes are bad. What does it mean? It actually denotes to the um, Jewish context, it denotes greed. And so it's not that you just can't see well. It's saying that it's because of greed. And that's why in the very next verse, it says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is interesting. It's interesting to me, Jesus, the, the scriptures in the New Testament, you know, this is about 2,000 years ago, Jesus had plenty of gods to point out, right? I mean, we've all taken... Uh, ancient history, European history. What were the gods of that time, of that era, in the Roman era? What, what kind of gods were there? You remember, right? What, Artemis, Zeus, Athena? There were so many gods that he could have listed in the scriptures. And they were very, they were known in that day. But none are mentioned by Jesus, except one, the God of money. And you know, the, the Asians are kind of right. <laughs> Do you know what this is? This is the god of money, Taishan. You know, and they literally worship this god to get more money. And this is, this is, um, this is the facts. This is actually the truth. Jesus understands uh, the heart of man. There is a God of money. And you want to know what a God is? Okay. A God, what is a God? A God is something that makes promises. That's how you know you have a legitimate idol. A God is a God that makes promises to you. Like money. What does money promise you? Status, comfort, luxury, fun. A lot of people, for, for a lot of people, it's this stability. It promises you stability. Uh, for a lot of Westerners, so I would say in the East, a lot of people are seeking stability. 
in the West, there's this thing called financial freedom, <laughs> right? Freedom. It promises you freedom to be able to do what you want when you want to do it. Money makes these types of promises. And if you are a believer, you believe it. That what's make, that's what makes a God a God. And all over the world, the God of money is being worshipped. But money comes and goes. Um, we've just been through a pandemic, but there's been many times when money um, has let people down in certain ways. Do you, do you remember in 2008? I mean, some of you guys are a little too young, but 2008, there was a financial crisis. You know, I, I have so many friends it was, it's like a, it was like a roller coaster because I remember my friend in 2007, he's like, why didn't I buy a house? I should have bought a house. Only if I bought a house, it would have been so great. And then in 2008, when I came back, he's like, thank God I didn't buy a house. Thank God if I bought a house, I would have been bankrupt. It's like, you know, and, and in Chinese, there's a saying that it's interesting. It's about money. It says, what that means is riches does not go beyond three generations. It's interesting. And China, there's been a lot of generations. A lot, a lot of generations. But they say that. And it's interesting, right? You know, because I don't know if you've talked to your parents about the history of your family, but I would imagine every single one of your parents, most of your parents said, we were so rich right? We used to be, at least used to be so rich, right? hundred years ago, whatever it was. But money's transient. It comes and goes. Um, I've seen that in my family. I visited uh, my, my homeland. I'm Korean, so I visited um, my village where my father grew up and and he used to tell me stories about how all the land, it was all ours. <laughs> it was all ours. Because <laughs> we were rich. <sighs> and, and I went there, and none of the land is ours now. <laughs> Zero. And there was a shed. And I was like, and I found one of, my, one of my father's elementary school classmates. And he told me, he would tell me how they used to take naps in this broken down shed. I mean, it looks pretty broken down now. But that's the transience of riches. That's the transience of money. It doesn't, money doesn't keep its promises. It doesn't. It comes, it comes and, it, and it goes. Now, what I'm saying is, is not that money is necessarily a bad thing. The, the greed and the love of money is a bad thing. It's a resource. You need it. You need to live somewhere. You need money. You need to ha have a job. All those things. The Bible doesn't say these are bad things. And we need it. And we use it. But it's a resource that God has blessed us with and that he has given us. Amen? That's what it is. Um, and so doing those things are not wrong. But what basically the scriptures are pointing to is that there's something greater there's something greater, and 
greed may get in the way of the greater. That's what Jesus is saying. Greed may get in the way of the greater. Because he's giving us this kind of investment advice. He says this, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and last first. 100x. That's pretty good. That's the promise of God. And what did he say about that? He said, if you leave for me, and that's interesting. I, you know, people of God, when you see the Bible, there's a lot of leaving happening in the Bible. Do you see it? Like Abraham, right? He left his hometown. Disciples, they what? They left Jerusalem and they went to the ends of the earth. Even in Genesis chapter one, it talks about how you will leave who? In Genesis one, do you remember? You'll leave who? Your father and mother. There's a progression of leaving, separating, and in that, in this passage, God, if you, he's basically saying, if you leave for me, I will bless you. You're going to experience, why? Why is that? that? Isn't that strange? Why does leaving, now I'm, just, I'm not talking about just leaving for any other reason, I hate my parents, I'm just going to leave. That, it's not, it's not talking about any kind of leaving, but there is an understanding that leaving for Christ's sake, for Jesus' sake, for his kingdom's sake, going anywhere, you could go across town, go across the street, you just leaving, going somewhere to a new place, a new environment. Why does that lead to blessing? Why? Because it's something that makes people uncomfortable leaving, even changing jobs, right? Even going to a new city. There's something uncomfortable about it. There's a risk attached to it. What if it doesn't work out? And I'm sure many of you have had that thought when you change jobs. There's a going into the unknown. But that, in a sense, is an exercise of trust and faith in God. There's some people, they will never leave. They will never leave. Because it's scary out there. Because who knows what's out there. But the Bible encourages us to leave our father and mother, the the safety net of home, the financial security of mom and dad. The Bible encourages us to leave. And in this passage, it says, leave for me. Can you tell the person next to you, leave for him. Leave for him. Okay, this is becoming a very unwelcoming church. Um, Yeah, it's my fault. 
Um, but in this passage, there's encouragement to invest, right? You see investment in here. There's a 100x return. And there's a challenge to leave. Um, and the more you sow, the more you'll reap. Uh, right now, our church, Church of Southland, we're going through a church multiplication where we're challenging and we're encouraging people to leave our church. You know, isn't that interesting? <laughs> Do you love Jesus? Leave! <laughs> you know, and, uh, and people, are, people are responding. There's like a couple hundred people at our church that have said, yes, we're leaving. <laughs> and they're leaving where? To the Inland Empire. You know, who knows what's out there? <laughs> if you're from there, I, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, you know, who knows what's out there? They're going to go to the Inland Empire, and they're leaving, leaving the comfort of um, what many of them have known. They've been at our church for 20-plus years. Their children have grown up and graduated high school, and they're leaving, um, and they're going to a new place because they believe that there is blessing. And they're, they're, they're going to drive like twice as far, right? They're going to take toll roads that are like expensive. <laughs> they're going to like make it literally more inconvenient for themselves. Let's drive an hour for church. <laughs> Why would anybody do that? Why would they drive an extra 30, 40 minutes for church. Why? They must think that there's some blessing at the end of that drive. Amen? Church alive is worth the drive. It is. Amen. Oh, yeah. Oh, we have some commuters in here. Okay. So... So, but, but not just that, but there, there's a, a plan to outreach to the community in that area. Uh, there's very few churches in the Inland Empire, which is interesting. Very, very few. Uh, and so, going that direction. And so, that's just an illustration of, of what it means when, when Jesus is saying, hey, leave for me. And, and as we do that, as we go there, and that's basically what missions is, right? Missions is leaving. And it's nothing abnormal about that. It's the normal Christian life to be willing to leave for the sake of the gospel. Leave your comfort zones, love your, leave your security blankets, leave your uh, community blanket, whatever it is, we leave for the sake of his call. Amen? And, and we participate in that. But there's some... Uh, things in the way of doing this. The first thing we talked about was greed. It seems like because of greed, people don't invest. Now, the second thing is because of what? Anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into their barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? But if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Don't worry about these things, it's saying. Verse 32, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Many of you have read this before, but maybe you haven't thought about the connection of this passage to seeking the kingdom first, right? It's connected. It's, uh, 33 is coming. <laughs> Verse 33 is coming, but it's all connected. First is because of greed, people are not investing in the heavenly kingdom. Number two, it's because of anxiety, fear. People are not investing and what are the, the root causes of this anxiety? Not knowing that you're valuable. I think that's true. Not understanding that Jesus paid the price of his life for you. We are valuable and precious in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Say that to yourself. This is truth. I am valuable in the Lord. Yeah. I'm not forgotten. I'm not lost. I'm not of no worth. The truth of God in Scripture tells us that we are valuable. Not believing that God knows what you need. People are anxious because they think God doesn't know what I need. He knows what you need better than what you know about yourself. Not believing that God will provide for you. He's a generous provider. Um, lack of purpose except the material. Your life is meaningless and it will be filled with anxiety. And this is what the faithless do. This is what the, this is what the Gentiles do. So anxiety, in a sense, is a Gentile thing. It's not what we are, how we're called to live. Anxiety has its roots in these beliefs that we are worthless, that nobody knows what we need, that God doesn't know what we need, that he will not provide for us. And I think that's um, what some people believe about God. And that's, that's why I remember a lot of people would say things like, oh, don't pray too much, don't get too close to God, or else God's going to call you to be a missionary in Africa. <laughs> you know, people have this... Strange, latent fear that if I hear God's voice too clearly, Africa, here we go. It's, and why do you fear Africa? Why do you fear going to places like that? It's because we don't believe that God knows what we need. You know? Um, God knows what we need. God provides for us. You know, when we took our uh, family, my wife and I, my, our, our one-year-old, we went to China. You know, I, I'm not a planner, so people are like, what are you going to do with your kid? I'm like, they have lots of kids in China. <laughs> they seem to be doing all right. I'm sure we'll figure out a way. <laughs> you know, like, it's not a, it's not a, uh, I don't know. I just, it just seemed like God will work things out. And he did. 
He does, and he did. You know, and there, China, Beijing, and where we're from, like Orange County, Los Angeles, is totally different, right? Uh, you know, some things are the same, some things are different. And, and so, you know, I just imagine my kid going to public school. As an American, <laughs> that's what I thought. My kid will go to public school. That's God-given right. <laughs> and then they're like, no, you can't go. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. For, what's funny is the first kid, my, my oldest, got into public school, praise the Lord. But my second child, they said, no, she can't go. I'm like, what do you mean? My first kid got in. And they're like, no, it, they, she can't go. And, and I was like, why? And she's like, because she was born in the year of the pig. And I was like, wow, what does that mean? Not any pig, a golden pig. Every 50 years this happens. And then I was like, okay, what does that mean? And they're like, you had, there's three types of people in Beijing. There's Beijinger, Beijingren, Beijingers. Number two, there's Waidiren, other Chinese people who don't have Beijing residency. And number three, you, foreigners. And they're like, this year, because it's the year of the golden pig, we don't even have enough room for Beijing people right now. You, your kid, cannot go to school here. And I was like, wow. It's amazing. Like, Chinese, the Chinese masters have decided in order to bless their child, to have their child in the year of the golden pig, but the result is, they, the, result is the most competition of any generation that has ever come. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's interesting how things work out that way. But, um, but God provided a way. We found, amazingly, there was, there was an underground Christian school. It was amazing. It was better than the public school that I pulled my children out of. And there was these missionaries from Wisconsin, Lutherans, doing an underground elementary school, Christian elementary school. I mean, we had like, like American teachers, Chinese teachers. It was like a bilingual Christian education. Amazing. Who would have thought? And after that, we got in, uh, there was another school, other provisions. God provided a way for our kids. We didn't have to worry about our kids. God blessed them. God made a way. They, went to a, they ended up going to a non-Christian, private Chinese school, you know, a little bit of propaganda, but, you know, we're used to that. We're fine with that. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's the thing. Like, I feel like parents are so scared of propaganda. The world is full and has been, will always be full of propaganda, people of God. Amen? That's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. You know, a little communist propaganda, you know, makes you stronger. You know? <laughs> just makes you stronger. We're like, you know what? No, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. No, there is a God. No, we didn't just come from monkeys. No, this is not. Uh, we just, we, you have to teach your kids. You have to teach your kids stuff. Wow. That's the answer. You have to teach your kids stuff. And that's what God, in the word of God, has always told his people to do anyway. Because we are not of this world. And the world is shifting, and we are trying to remain the same in scriptures, you know, and, and we're going to look more and more odd as the generations go by. We are, you and I are becoming the Amish. I hope you know that. <laughs> you and I 
are becoming the Amish and people are going to be like, oh, look at those Christians. That's what we're becoming. But you know what? That's fine. It's okay. That's, the, that's been the way of the faith in every nation for centuries. For centuries. Because we're the people of God. And this kind of Christian paradise of American civilization for the past couple hundred years is an oddity in the scope of history. You know, and right now, a lot of countries, a lot of places you go, it's not a very um, friendly place in, in that way. America is way friendly. It's just super friendly anyway right now uh, compared to the rest of the world and uh, compared to history. And so, um, so this is what we have to fight against, trusting in the Lord. That's what combats anxiety. Do you trust him? You know? It, it's like, uh, you know, when you go for a job, you know, there's certain companies that you just, you just don't trust, <laughs> right? I mean, you'll, you'll take the interview because, you know, that's what you do, right? And, but there's certain companies that are like, mm, I'm not, not sure. You know, and certain companies are like, oh, that, that's a good company. Like, you know, uh, one of my friends, he's uh, uh, in the car industry and he's interviewing with uh, Rivian. Not so sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you're working, usually working for like Toyota or Honda, and then you go to Rivian. <laughs> and then, you know, hmm, yeah, benefits are great, salary is great, company might not be here next year. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things. Um, but imagine, you know, imagine if your company sent you, you know, to, on a long-term um, uh, what is it, Chu Chai, you know, the business trip, yes. <laughs> a long-term business trip, <laughs> you know? Imagine your company sent you, the, but you're like, you know what? They gave me this credit card, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's going to go through. You know? You know, they said they're going to pay my rent. I'm not sure. What, what would be your advice to that person? Leave that company. <laughs> would be my advice. But that's what people think about the kingdom of God. That's why people don't go on God's business trips. Is that credit card going to go through? Is he really going to pay my rent? They don't trust it. They don't trust it. God is trustworthy. I've lived that truth out in my life for many years now. God is faithful. He gives beyond anything you could ever plan for or imagine if you continue. You know what I realized? You know, I, I, as a missionary, let me just give you a look. Missionaries, most, most of them are very transient. When, after 16 years in Beijing, I was like, you know, there's like two of us <laughs> that were there from the beginning, you know? There's just not, not a lot of people. A lot of people leave like two years in, three years in. They just kind of leave, they shift, they go to other places. There are a lot of different reasons. Some are good reasons, some are bad reasons. But I would say 
the biggest reason is, is this anxiety. She's not sure. Is he going to come through? Is God going to provide? Is it going to be okay? Imagine if that thought, if you live in that anxiety, that'll kill you. If you live in that anxiety, you will, it will be very difficult to get anything done. Um, and so we become transient. This anxiety is an issue here in Bay Area, right? I heard you have to make like 200K or else you're poor here or something like that. <laughs> or maybe even 200K, you're, you're still poor. Whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> it's, I heard it's, it's pretty crazy here, right? So, so I'm sure the levelings of anxiety where your margins are getting thinner, I'm sure this thought of, am I going to be okay? You know? I'm sure it happens. But Jesus is saying, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put your mind on the things that last. He'll provide for you. He'll provide for you. We will live uh, and we will be blessed and um, we'll experience his goodness. Um, and so what does that mean? Uh, again, greed and anxiety. Seek the kingdom first. Now, what does seeking the kingdom first mean? Working for eternal food. In John chapter 6, verse 27, it says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the work of God? Jesus answered him, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So a work, uh, there's work that, for food that perishes, and we need to do that work, okay? Uh, we, we need to eat food. But there's, there's work for food that endures to eternal life as well, and we also need that food. Amen? We, there, there's two different food at play here. Uh, we need this food, but we also need the other food. And one of them takes priority, uh, which does not mean we don't do the other. We do both. Um, but there has to be a priority in our life, which a son of man will give you. So we're working for Jesus, and it comes, um, uh, it has to do with building faith. Uh, and this is what seeking the kingdom first looks like. Okay, and, and the next passage, in John chapter 4, it says a very similar thing. Uh, it talks about food again, and then work, and the harvest. 31, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Um, for here, the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Um, And so this is the passage of the, the Samaritan woman. And he talks about this labor. And the food is to do the will of the Father. The work is about the harvest. And he's doing it, and he invites us to join in in that labor. It's something that's kind of, ha 
It's something that's happening. Turn to the person next to you and say, God is at work. God works. That's the truth. Jesus said, my father, he's working. God is always at work. And so what we're doing is participating in that work, trying to discover what that work is. And it's never, we're not entrepreneurs. And I, I know there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit here in this area. It's not, God doesn't call you to start something. He calls you to join him in something that he is already doing wherever you are or wherever you're going. That's scriptural. That's biblical truth. Not to start something for him. He's calling us to join him. And that's what Jesus is saying. That Samaritan woman, God was already working in her life. God is already doing something. And how do we discover that? We discover it by asking questions. Uh, in experiencing God, it's called spiritual concentration. <laughs> what, what it just means you focus around on the people and the things that are happening around you, and you see how God is at work. It could be like a new neighbor that moves in next door. Say hello. Hey, who are you? How are you? It could be your new coworker that comes in from some other place. Hey, my name's so-and-so. How are you doing? What's going on? It's, it could be through, through lunch. It could be through a meal. It could be through conversation. It could be through the things that you share in your life. It could be through the things that they share in their life. You know, I remember um, one of my neighbors in Beijing just came through and, and um, I realized his English was pretty good. Uh, and I found out he has, uh, he's like, you know, uh, he's been through America and things like that. Uh, and so just talking to him and then just talking to him and, and getting to know his wife as well. And they have a kid and they come over. And, and I remember just conversations uh, about life and, and what we're doing and business and whatnot. But one day, the mom's just like, had it up to here and just asking about, what am I going to do about my daughter? I was like, what? What do you mean? The daughter was like three years old. Yeah, three or four. And she's like, what instrument should she learn to play? She's like stressed out. I'm like, why are you so stressed about what instrument? Because I need to know what instrument she should play so that she can get into Beijing University one day. Because, you know, if it's some, some years, it's like Western music is, is, is accepted. Some years, like traditional Chinese music. And so what instrument right now, traditional Chinese music is the hot thing. And so if your child knows how to do traditional Chinese, then like you have, you know, more points in the system. But who knows, like whatever, 15 years from now, what will give you more points? And so he just, he just, she just stressed out. You know, that's what they say. It's like, like you're digging yourself into darkness by your stress, by your stress. What do I do? How do I do it? Um, and that's, and then and we're, we're saying, you know what? Like, you know, we're believers. You know, we, we trust in God. I mean, we got to do what you got to do. But I'm not worried about, I can't worry about what's going to be the hot instrument in like 2038. <laughs> you know what I mean? I can't, I can't worry about that. 
That's not, but I trust God. We trust that God has things in his hands. You know, and she's like, what? What? This didn't make sense to her. You know, but as she's going and as they started like visiting our church, like just a few weeks in, she's just like coming to the front, crying her eyes out, say, I want to receive the Lord. And just, just changing, you know, and beautiful family. God's just changing their lives. That's what God does, you know? That's what God does. I'm just, and you know, I didn't pull out my four spiritual laws, you know? You know, step one, God has a wonderful plan for your life. I've, I don't know if I've ever converted anybody through the four spiritual laws, actually. I'm not sure, you know, but like just sharing about life right? And, and then you find out, oh my God, yeah, this person's very stressed out about her life. You know what? What does God's word have to say about that? You know, we need to do our part, do what we can, but you know, we don't need to live, live like that. We don't need to live like that. And so we encourage, we bless, um, and we build relationship. And that, that's how you participate in the harvest. And even myself, you know, we started a church in Beijing, but it wasn't just me. It was just all these people from all... It was amazing. I, my first year in, I met this one guy from Michigan, University of Michigan, Harvest Church, right? You guys, HMCC? You guys know that church? You ever heard of that? But anyway, that church from out there, he came to Beijing. And he's like, oh, I heard you're from AMI. You know, that was, that was like 16 years ago. And then and he looked me up. We had lunch together. And he, oh, there's some students here, you know? And they're, they're all Taiwanese students, right? And they're like, oh, we want to start some fellowship. I'm like, I can't speak Chinese. You know, I can only speak English. But it's okay. Just do it in English. So I did it in English. And people started coming into the Lord. Just people started coming to the Lord. And then this, in Beijing University, we had like this fellowship of students. And we'd go and, and baptize them in like the dirtiest Beijing rivers, black. But they... <laughs> Black rivers, but you know what? They came out white as snow. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. But you know, we, I mean, we, and, and that, that's just what God was doing there. I, no credit. Just, we're just like participating in what God was doing in these places. That's what the harvest is. That's what participating is. You don't need to have an incredible theology. You don't need to have an incredible understanding of the world or whatever it is. You need to have a willingness to participate. You could do that. I mean, you could do it like me, go to China, you know, and especially if you speak Chinese, use it. How amazing is that? And, and go talk to a billion people over there, you know, and, and, and so you can use it. Um, you could do it here. Uh, the world God is working in this world. And he's inviting us, hey, you want to participate? You want to be a stakeholder in this incredible kingdom that will last forever? Do you want to be a stakeholder? Do you want to be a, I don't know if there's an early investor or a late investor, but whatever it is. Do you want to be a stakeholder in the kingdom of God? And Jesus is saying, it's good for you. This, trust me, this will help you in the end. 
You know, there's a famous person named Steve Jobs, and uh, he was trying to get a CEO to take over his company. Um, uh, and he found John Scully, who was the CEO of Pepsi, and he was negotiating with him, and, and John's like, you know what, I, you know, I don't want to, I, I like my job, I like it at Pepsi, you know, we're doing good. And then he just turned around and he stopped the negotiation. He says, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? It's pretty good, huh? It's pretty good. Captain, my captain, it's pretty good. And then John Scully got convinced by that line. And he joined Apple. And he proceeded to almost bankrupt the company. <laughs> it almost didn't make it because of John Scully. No, that's neither here nor there, but, you know. But oh, what, what is the thought? I, I guess to Steve Jobs, building computers was so much more of a higher calling than selling Pepsi. I'm not sure if it is. Is it? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, you're just kind of comparing stuff. Like, you know, uh, but it seems like he's saying that there is a higher calling. There's something greater to being a part of Apple, and Apple's a pretty big company, right? Um, they're making uh, good products. But in a sense, it's, it's very Christ-like, in that he's challenging his people to participate in something greater. You know? And that's something that you don't need to be a superstar or you don't need uh, multiple degrees. You don't need um, to be amazing uh, to do. This is something that we all have a place in. And if you are a superstar, that's great. Be the star. But we are called to participate. Just participate in what God is doing. And as we do that, we will gain riches um, that we will never lose. So if we can have the praise band come up. Um, this is the normal Christian life. This is what Jesus in Matthew 6 is encouraging us to do. Don't let greed for earthly wealth or anxiety stop you from producing or pursuing kingdom work. Know who you are, that you're a child of God, and know who God is, who is our Father. And make good investments. You know, money's one thing, but your time, your energy, what are you going to invest in? And he's challenging us, seek God's kingdom first, join him in the harvest. And I hope today um, my message kind of allowed you to kind of understand you don't have to be a full-time pastor. You know, I don't know. You don't need to be a whatever full-time missionary. You, there's people, really good friends of mine, who are like teachers and um, doctors and business owners who are participating. You know, in, in their relationships. In China, they're doing that. People are doing that here as well. 
And so, but it takes determination. It takes focus. Why? Because your life is busy already. There's a lot of things going on and a lot of things competing for your mind space and for your values. But we need to be people who don't swallow the promises of money, but believe the promises of God and understand that even as gifts, money and provisions, these are his gifts, but don't let those things overtake the giver of all these gifts. Amen. Amen. Let's stand before the Lord together. And if we can, let's pray before him and let's ask him to help us. If greed has been consuming you and it's just, just all been about gaining, how do I get more? And that's what your life has become about. I invite you today to repent before the Lord and put it down. If anxiety has consumed you, if it's consumed you, and you're just worried about the future and how are you going to make it, even basic needs, you're just consumed with anxiety. Come to the Father today. Lay that down. Lay that down. Ask the Lord to open up our hearts and minds to see His work. Again, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your family member. To see the Lord at work and to invite them to come into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Lord to open our eyes and to pray for those people that God has put on your heart. Pray for them and ask the Lord, help me to join in on your work, in your labor, for things that will last. Let's pray together.